Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode is brought to you by the Town of Vale and hosted by Manor Vale Lodge, important partners of the 2018 Vale Dance Festival. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Summer is almost over, and many of our listeners are getting ready to head back to school. To help ease us into that transition, we sat down with the director of the Boston Ballet School, Margaret Tracy. Margaret had an illustrious 16-year career as a principal dancer at the New York City Ballet, dancing a massive repertoire of works by George Balanchine, Jerome Robbins, Trey McIntyre, William Forsyth, and Peter Martins. Margaret began teaching at Boston Ballet School in 2005 and accepted her position as director in 2007. In today's episode, we talked to Margaret from the Vail Dance Festival about how her years as a dancer inform her work as a teacher, how she tailors teaching methods to each individual student, and how she plans to continue to expand and enrich the programs offered at the Boston Ballet School. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, I know you have a lot on your plate here, Margaret, but um, you made time for us and we really appreciate it. It's truly my pleasure. And my role here is is quite relaxing in many ways because it's it's teaching and coaching. Uh-huh. And I, I helped out with a little scheduling, but it really is, um, it's been a treat for me to... Uh, be surrounded by these artists and reconnect yeah. Yeah. with some of the roles that I used to dance uh-huh. in a new and different way with different people and different dancers. It's It's been a true joy. I okay. totally want to get into all of that because yeah. I want to know exactly what you had um, your hands in because um, I know certain parts, of course, that mm-hmm. are very much a part of your, your rep. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go back to the beginning first. Sure. Let's uh, start with how you first became interested in dance. Well, I am a native of Colorado. I grew up in Pueblo, which is southeastern corner of the state. And as long as I can remember, I wanted to take ballet class. So when I was six, mom said, you can take ballet, but you have to take piano. Oh, I said, okay. Mm-hmm. So I studied piano, but I was in love with ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, I even remember my very first ballet class because I was an extremely shy little girl, did not like to open my mouth, mm-hmm. did not like to talk, hid behind my mother's skirt. 
And I'll never forget um, the liberation I felt when I walked into a ballet class and nobody asked me to say a word, (laughs) but I got to move. Uh And so it really was, for my growing up and my development, dance was my voice. Mm -hmm. And I was very lucky that... I was able to make it to where I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love that piano was a part of your life. And I yes. think that it makes sense um, with uh, the path you would ultimately take, you know, uh, joining a company mm-hmm. and uh, initially a school that prizes musicality. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that your experience playing piano had an impact on what style of ballet you were ultimately going to make a connection with? That's a great question. And I, it obviously did. I didn't realize it at the time. I also studied the violin. Oh, wow. So music was a huge part of my, my childhood and my growing up. And it absolutely made me a better dancer. It made me more aware of the music. And I went to New York dreaming of becoming a professional. But I fell in love with New York City Ballet mm-hmm. because of the music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the music comes first. It's always about the music. And so it was, it was a perfect fit for mm-hmm. me. We're going to make you do a one-woman duo concert on piano, violin. And- <laughs> I don't play anymore. <laughs> well, that's not true. So I, I have two children, and I did not make them take ballet, but I did make them study classical music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when my son chose the violin one year for Christmas, my family gave me a violin, and I actually picked it up again. And I played with him. And my favorite story is we actually studied the Bach double which is Concerto Baroque. Oh, so, so we, wonderful. my favorite memory of my son and I and our music connection was being able to play Concerto Baroque. Oh, that's yeah. nice. I mean, you're like teary. Oh, that's yeah. Chills. <laughs> I love that. So what made you become interested in the School of American Ballet and made you want to leave Colorado and head for the big city in New York? So when I was 12, mm-hmm. the Joffrey Ballet, Joffrey II, actually, at the time, Sally Bliss was the director, Mm -hmm. I remember this vividly, was giving a master class in our town. And my mother dragged me to it. I thought, I don't want to go to master class. I liked ballet, but I'd I'd done my ballet that day. Why do I have to go back? And she dragged me there. And I ended up loving it. It was a great master class. And the next day, she invited me to come back and take company class. (gasps) (laughs) And here I was, a 12-year-old kid, mm-hmm. I'd never been exposed to anything professional ever. Mm-hmm. And I took the master, I took company class. I loved it. I, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, I can, I can keep up because mm-hmm. I, I didn't know. Sure. And we thought that was just the greatest experience. Mm-hmm. And we kind of checked it off and thought, wow, how fun. Mm-hmm. Six weeks later, I got a letter in the mail that invited me on full scholarship to the Joffrey Summer School. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. that was the first moment when I thought I had an indication that, wow, my love for dancing actually might take me somewhere. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could do this for a living. So my parents wouldn't let me go to New York. They thought that was just wildly ridiculous mm-hmm. at the age of 13. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I started auditioning for summer programs. And the next summer when I was 14, I went to San Francisco Ballet because they thought that was a little bit of an easier transition. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, West Coast seemed a little less scary than yeah. the East Coast. Right. So I did that. And when I was in San Francisco, I heard about this place called School of American Ballet. Mm. And I met some of the dancers from there. And I thought, ooh, I kind of like the way they move. I like their energy. So the next year, I auditioned. Although I I will confess, I had it in my head I was going to be an ABT. Because that was in my... At that time, that was, I guess there must have been more PBS programs of ABT than New York City Ballet at the Mm -hmm. time. And that was the big New York company. Sure. 
So, and I kept auditioning for ABT and they never accepted me. <laughs> but that winter when I was 15, SAB accepted me and they accepted me with a full scholarship. And I, it was Susie Hendel, who was a longtime teacher and coach of mine at New York City Ballet, who auditioned me back then mm -hmm. at the age of 15. And she talked to me afterwards. And I just, the connection, the way she worked, I, I just knew it was a good fit. Right. And so I went to SAB that summer and I just never left. Mm -hmm. well, I love that you mentioned, you know, not being accepted into ABT because so many people who had yep. huge careers mm -hmm. that we've talked to have these little stories. And I know that we have a lot of younger students who listen yeah, to the podcast. Absolutely. And I think that's so important to keep in the back of their minds. You know, sometimes these things are just so arbitrary. Correct. You know, you can go to one summer program and these huge mm -hmm. cattle calls, right? So you have like, you know, 70 kids that you see over a one hour period and people slip through the cracks. Yep. But um, then you go to the right place at the mm -hmm. right time and someone sees you and it all clicks. Well, I'm a firm believer in talent is critical for success, but luck and timing mm -hmm. is everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Luck and timing is what makes careers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we've seen many talented dancers throughout the ages that if they weren't in the right place at the right time, things just didn't happen for right. them. So I quite frequently tell my students, can you imagine that I, I did not get into the same summer program ever at ABT? Yeah. They never accepted me. Here's the funny story. Um, a year before, uh, it was after three years that I'd been training at SAP, uh, Misha came to watch class and he offered me a contract with uh -huh. ABT. <laughs> and I said no, <laughs> because I'd fallen in love with, with uh -huh. New York City Ballet and I wanted to wait and see if I could get that job first. Uh -huh. So I waited a year and sure enough, I, I, love that. I got oh. in. All you uh -huh. grades at that time, I think Peter Bull and uh -huh. Wendy, both the same thing. Misha had offered uh -huh. them a contract. Yep. He was, he, I guess he has good taste. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Misha and I are still good friends to uh -huh. this day. He's uh, um, no hard feelings yeah. there <laughs> at all. The other, the other thing I like to remind students um, through my training at SAB, I repeated a year of study. So I always try to remind people that there is, we all have our own unique paths in yeah. how to get to where we're meant to be. Mm -hmm. And um, if we trust that, we're going to be at the right place at the right time. And we stay open to that. Mm -hmm. It usually happens. Right. Mm -hmm. So what was the path for you then to your an apprenticeship at New York City Ballet? So it was very typical, I think, for most of us that trained back in the 80s at School of American Ballet. I went through four years of training. Um, and then I actually skipped the whole apprenticeship. Oh. I um, did workshop on Monday night, my oh. final workshop performance. And... Tuesday morning, I went to work with New York City Ballet, and Friday night, I was performing in second movement Bizet. Oh, my God. So it was um, not much of a transition right. period. Yeah. I was thrown into the midst of it. I was 19 at the time, so I had trained from 15 to 19. I remember the, the year before, I was a little off put because I wasn't given an apprenticeship, mm -hmm. and I thought I should have been given one. But the teachers at the school were so smart. They knew I needed another year mm -hmm. to strengthen. I think Stanley at the time, really, Stanley Williams knew that I wasn't cooked yet. Mm -hmm. And I needed, I needed another year of strength. I needed another year of um, emotional growth. Mm -hmm. And he was so right. We talked about this years later, of that last year being the most critical year of my training, mm -hmm. when I was a little defiant that I hadn't gotten into the company and I saw some of my friends get in. And yet, it set me up for 
a very, while it was a quick transition, it was a very smooth transition. Yeah. I spent three years in the Court of Ballet, two years as a soloist, and then I became a principal. I didn't struggle with injuries, per se, mm -hmm. a few knee problems here and there, but I was ready. I was ready physically and mentally, and I really, I, I really attribute that to the teachers mm -hmm. at the school. They were taking care of me. They were looking out for what was best for me mm -hmm. and looking at my long-term success, mm -hmm. and uh, what a gift I was given. I think wow. that's another great story. I, I, I mean, I can think of so many times where people at the beginning, I mean, we all remember what that's like. Mm -hmm. You're just so eager to get going. And if there's any sort of hiccup at the yeah. start, it feels like the end of the world. <laughs> but yes. it can really ultimately lead to the best yeah. things for you. Um, and again, another thing that I, I think it's important to share with younger listeners yeah. that have certain ideas in their heads, but then even though it's uh, easier to hear than to apply to yourself, it's still mm -hmm. important to know that that is a path. Well, and, and truth be told, I, I was impatient. I, I'm not sure I was as graceful then as I am talking about it now. Mm -hmm. But along the way, when I was able to look back and, and, and really be honest with myself, I thought, wow, I was being cared for. I wasn't being neglected. I wasn't right. being overlooked. Mm -hmm. I... This is what I needed to be mm -hmm. set up for that success. Right. And somebody was, I, I feel incredibly lucky right. that I was being looked after yeah. in that manner. But a lot of times we don't realize that. Mm -hmm. So we'll want to talk more about your teaching career later, but I just wanted to kind of piggyback off this mm -hmm. and see how that experience for you is something that you've learned from and then transferred for to your students as a teacher. Great question. I I like to tell stories. I like to share my stories. I think we learn so beautifully from stories. So I like to reveal parts of my stories that I feel can connect to a student when they may be struggling with yeah. something similar. Right. I have to be careful because they look at me as a successful, accomplished dancer, which I was. So I have to make sure that I am sharing with sensitivity and empathy. Right. So I also like to share other people's stories, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love to bring in my colleagues' stories. Mm -hmm. Did you know? And, mm -hmm. and so that they can learn, because mm -hmm. I think that's the beauty of this art form. It's passed on from one person to another. Mm -hmm. We don't go study it in a book. Mm -hmm. It's a real human-to-human -human art form, teacher-to-student, ballet master-to-dancer, partner-to-partner. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, so I think that that... The most important thing I see in telling these stories and helping students along the way is built from a relationship mm -hmm. that has to be nurtured and developed. And I go back to, I was so fortunate that Stanley Williams nurtured a relationship with me. Mm -hmm. And I knew that, and I trusted that, and I knew I had somebody there I could trust. Mm -hmm. And he was there for me until he passed away. I mm -hmm. continued to take his class at the school. So those, what those teachers gave me is, is set the stage for me to be able to turn around and say, how can I share, share that experience with this generation and the next generation and the generation after that? Mm -hmm. and I love that you, you use stories as a, a tool for your students because I, I just remember that being such an exciting mm -hmm. thing. Anytime oh, yeah. that the teachers would give you a glimpse into 
what their careers were or, you know, stories or about balancing or whoever, you know, mm-hmm. Robbins, Danilova, I mean, who, like Stanley, people that we didn't have the good right. fortune of working with. Um, so I, I love that you bring that in. Danilova, you mentioned her. She was the greatest storyteller. Mm-hmm. And I was so dumb when I was young. <laughs> and I thought she was just a little off her rocker, yeah. which she was. <laughs> But not in the way that I thought she was. And we used to we used to bring her cookies to our Friday afternoon variations class. Oh. Because we knew that if we brought her cookies, she would stop and eat the cookies and tell us stories about Ballet Rouge. Uh-huh. And we would get out of a difficult class. <laughs> but silly us, we thought we were so clever. Uh-huh. She was actually giving us ballet hit, dance history. Yeah. And I remember, you know, while I may not remember a lot of the details of the stories, I remember the essence. She painted the most glorious pictures of the Ballet Russe days mm-hmm. and her stories of Mr. Balanchine. And, you know, we didn't have a formal dance history class, but she made sure we got it. Yeah. And we thought we were just getting out of variations. Yeah. Uh, and, and I didn't recognize that until much later. Mm-hmm. And um, I was able to finally tell her how much I appreciated that before she died. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I think those, are, those, those, again, were my examples, some of the greatest examples that I could possibly have been given. Mm-hmm. And it is, our, it is our responsibility to make sure for those of us that have chosen teaching as, as our, our calling – to make sure that we respect that and we honor that and we honor what all of those people gave us. Right. Oh, I wish there were recordings of those variation classes. Me too. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I tried to go and find some things at the library. I, I did find a really great Duporovska point class you that know I've been what, stealing from. <laughs> do you know what I have? Someone gave me an archive uh, footage of a point class with Muriel Stewart in my very first year. Amazing. At wow. SAB. And I have, it's about a 15 minute segment awesome. that I have kept. And um, I, I, I can't remember how I got it, but I got uh-huh. my hands on it about 10 or 15 years ago. Uh-huh. And I have used those uh, ver- those combinations yeah. many a time yeah. <laughs> and thanked Miss Muriel Stewart for oh, them. That's so great. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about your first years with the company. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you got promoted very quickly. So mm-hmm. those were an exciting time, you know, you, you were getting a lot of rep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but at the same time, the company was still grieving from yeah. the loss of Balanchine. Mm-hmm. So what was that contrast like for you? Or were you just so blinders on that you didn't feel the same weight of the loss? You know, I was, again, my timing was unfortunate and fortunate all at once. Unfortunate in that I never got to meet Mr. Balanchine or work with him. Fortunate in that I didn't have to go through the grief that I watched so many of my colleagues in the company going through and figuring out how to transition from one leader to another. We walked into the company and we only knew one leader. Mm -hmm. We only knew one way of the company, uh, how the company existed. And we had the benefit of all of those ballet masters and all of those teachers directly having worked with Mr. Balanchine. So we we felt his presence. I felt him in the wings, even though he wasn't there. I felt him in rehearsals. I felt him in class. So, so the unfortunate piece is I never met him. The fortunate piece is I didn't have to go through that same type of transition. So I could just throw myself into the work, throw myself into the rep, I didn't know any different. Mm -hmm. That was all we knew at that time. Mm -hmm. 
And it was also exciting because we were part of a new era. Right. And can we still create Balanchine dancers in the post-Balanchine era? Mm-hmm. I think we did okay. <laughs> <laughs> and because, because we had the teachers, we had the ballet masters, we had the, the repertoire in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That repertoire teaches you what it needs, what you need to do. Teaches you how to dance. It really does. I, I so agree. I can't. I just remember thinking uh, when we were doing square dance the first time. We were both very young. We, yeah. Were you even in a? You were an apprentice. I was an apprentice. I, yeah. I was maybe my first year in the core, and it just. It's like you're just. I mean, it's a beautiful ballet to dance, but you're also just getting like class every day. I mean, that's all you're doing all day long. Mm -hmm. So the way that you get so much stronger from those ballets. And I would always find that when you didn't have at least one balancing ballet you were working on, maybe your technique would kind of slip Mm -hmm. a little bit. Well, and imagine a steady diet of that. Yeah. Every day, every season. Mm -hmm. That's when, again, when I started watching New York City Ballet, I just knew Mm -hmm. those were the steps I wanted to do. You mentioned square dance. That was one of my first big roles. I knew that, yeah. Um, (laughs) How old were you then? I I don't know. Maybe my second year in the company, possibly. It was in those Mm -hmm. first few years, first couple of years. And it was one of those moments when at the time, I think Meryl was injured, and Kira was carrying a huge load, and they needed somebody to learn that particular role because she just couldn't. She was her her Overbooked. plate was extremely <laughs> full at the time. So Tuesday afternoon, I started learning square dance, and you know how many steps are in it? Yeah, a lot. And by Saturday, they called me and said, "Kira's out. You're on tomorrow." <laughs> oh my <laughs> so, gosh. So I, I had, again, just like my first performance with a company, in a few days, all of a sudden, I yeah. went from a student to full core member. That's how my first big roles came to me, yeah. and Square Dance being one of them. I loved it because it didn't allow me any time to think. Yeah. It worked for my personality. Mm-hmm. It's There's not just a lot of steps in Square Dance. <laughs> True. <laughs> there, is, there is so much technique, and I feel like that's one of those parts that people like sit and work on and work on and work on and no. work on, and you just didn't have that time. Well, I worked on it then for the rest of my career. Sure, of course. <laughs> I, that the was the beauty. That yeah. you know, again, one of the gifts of being in New York City Ballet is the the wealth of that repertoire. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to do Square Dance and then not see it for a long time. Yeah. I mean, it went away maybe for a few seasons, and it then it came back. Right. And that is a perfect example of a role that I started as core mm-hmm. and I did in my last season mm-hmm. as how, a principal. How would you feel shifts? It's always so fun. We talk about we love to, all dancers love to revisit roles like you're talking mm-hmm. about. So if square dance would go away a little bit and then it came back, how would you feel different in the role? And how do you feel like you work to evolve it, even though you weren't working specifically on that ballet every day? Hmm. You know, it would depend on who the partner was. Mm-hmm. If I sh- if I shifted and had a new partner, then it would feel like a whole new experience. And you'd work out how how that... And it was a different experience mm-hmm. with each different partner. Right. That's also the beauty of a lot of the Balanchine Rep is that there's a lot of freedom. It's because it's not a particular role you're playing. You're not a particular character. You really get to be yourself. Again, my very first rehearsal of Square Dance, I remember... The ballet mistress, it was Sally Leland, said to me, okay, dear, Kay did this role, Kay Mazo, and, and Kira's done this role, and Meryl's done this role, but we're going to have to figure out how Margaret's going to do this role. Hmm. And that was my, her, that, that I remember those words 
allowing me permission to figure out who I was going to be within this iconic institute of New York City Ballet. Mm-hmm. But I was given that. That was, again, a tremendous gift. Right. Yeah. But when we re- to revisit the roles, you know, you grow in them, you learn something new about them. One season, that particular technical feat is difficult. The next season, another section is, you know, if the knee was bad, maybe the <laughs> menage didn't work so well. It, uh, there's so much there. Mm-hmm. It, there was always something to work on. Mm-hmm. Then there was the artistry of what you were going to bring to the pot of It's We could spend two hours just talking about square dance. Let's do yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we're game for that. Yeah, That's, anytime. Anytime you want. Square dance is one of the, I mean, it's a, a real dancer's ballet, it too. Is. It's I a dancer's who, ballet. Who, I can't oh, think yeah. of anyone that doesn't love it, yeah. you know. True. And it's one of the hardest things as well. It's not an easy one. What, well, what was the hardest thing you ever danced? Because you, you were given a lot of those kind of yeah, stamina busters. like Correct. Uh, yeah, they're hard for different reasons. I mm-hmm. always found Donizetti variations very hard mm-hmm. for me. Square dance was hard, but I liked the hard. Yeah. Donizetti... I loved the ballet, but I don't know why. I, I had a really hard time with that mm-hmm. for some reason. So from 86 to your retirement in mm-hmm. 2002, you were, I mean, you danced a massive amount of the, the rep, you know, in particular the balancing roles. Mm-hmm. What did that mean to you to be able to be a keeper of the flame of something you obviously cared deeply about? Yeah, it's an honor. It's it's. Imagine you go to school and you get a PhD and you specialize in something. This that was my what I specialized yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Um, we sometimes talk about ourselves as specialists, and having known all of uh, the repertoire, and and also too, I, I also we haven't talked about Jerry yet, and he was still very much alive and very much a part of our 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 growing up at New York City Ballet for my generation. And he was still there choreographing um, while we were there. Mm-hmm. So we also, while we didn't have Mr. B, we did have Jerry. Mm-hmm. For all of, for everything that he was. Yeah. <laughs> we love him and he was really challenging yeah. all at once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so you going back to what you said, um, we have been, we're specialists because we have experience. Mm-hmm. It's if you think of if you think in terms of um, academic learning, students learn when they actually experience something, mm-hmm. not just when they read about it or hear about it. It's when they actually create the experience and go through an experience mm-hmm. that the learning is within them. Mm-hmm. So that's what we have when we have a career at New York City Ballet with that kind of rep, yeah. and yeah. particularly, uh, I was very fortunate to have so many of those really um, iconic technical balancing parts somewhere under my belt <laughs> somewhere in there and they come back to me it's quite extraordinary yeah. uh-huh. oh they're just i mean balancing ballets are just in your bones they are they're in our dna yeah you hear the Part music of, and yep, you couldn't yep. imagine any other stuff again going back to it is a lot of times i will when i teach a variation class to my variations class to my students i I come in and I'm thinking about the variation and I can't remember it. But at the minute the music plays, yeah. it, it, it clicks mm-hmm. in. So let's talk about Jerry. You brought him up. Um, what were some of the first things you worked on um, with him and what roles did you mm-hmm. um, develop while he was still working at New York City Ballet? 
So one of the first roles I did for him was Goldberg Variations, mm-hmm. the pink girl, which he originated uh, for Gelsey Kirkland. Mm-hmm. And Wendy was the green girl in the first section. So Wendy and I, Wendy Whalen and I, was one of our first roles with, with Jerry. And it was a fantastic experience. He, at that time, he was teaching a lot of the ballets himself still. Wow. So that uh, and that solo in the first section of Goldberg Variations was one of my favorites. Mm. And so it was, when you work with Jerry, you go into a whole nother world Mm -hmm. because he has this ability to create, his ballets are a world in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. And we were so lucky because he could take us to where we needed to be within that ballet. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to learn the steps for Jerry, it's not about the steps. I mean, they're brilliant steps. Yeah. They're great. They're mm-hmm. very, that particular role, the pink girl in, in Goldberg is very organic, or yeah. at least mm-hmm. it was for me. Yeah. Right. But that was only part of it. Mm-hmm. There's the whole, everybody that's a part of it. It's, it's, a, it's, it's just really magical. Right. Um, and then shortly after that, he taught me Fawn. Mm-hmm. So Afternoon of a Fawn was my first big role with Jerry. Mm-hmm. And he spent three weeks every single day in the practice room at the then New York State Theater with my partner and I. And he took me through why he choreographed every moment. And at the end of the day, he would give me homework. Now go home. I want you to think about this. Wow. Imagine this. Go and wash your hair. Put it across your face and smell it. What does it feel? What does it feel like? What does it smell like? He he would give us homework, and then mm-hmm. we would come back the next day. And it was again. I look back now and think, my goodness, I won the lottery. Yeah, yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sure it's one of those things where I'm sure in the moment you felt so appreciative. Oh, I and was you excited. It. I was young. It was great. It was great. But now it means I'm even like, more. Wow. Yeah. Right. I'm so glad I appreciate it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I enjoyed it then. Mm-hmm. And again, I was fortunate that that was a role I was able to do through my entire career. Who was your partner for your first fawn? So my first fawn was Jeff Edwards. I thought maybe that was the case. Yeah. yeah. You guys came up together, yep, right? we did. Yeah. yeah. Jeff is so great. Yeah. yeah it was beautiful dancer. Beautiful, beautiful dancer. Who's beautiful in that? Mm-hmm. You know what we're going to do is there's, uh, Kurt's posted a lot of um, yeah. you and Wendy in Goldberg. So we're just yes. gonna, That's why it came we're into stealing my that right away from Kurt. Yeah. one of my students came up and showed it to me. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's how, they're like, we found you. I was yeah. like, yep, there I am. Oh, that's that, so fun. Uh, Kurt. I mean, yeah, it's those videos are so great. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll send, you know, Roma if she's ever in it because Roma was our ballet yeah. mistress. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and, you send and that was her yeah. role. That was her role. Yeah, as well. mm-hmm. she did that. Yeah, so she, and she's always she's kind of we love Roma. She's funny about that sort of thing. She would never if she was staging a ballet, she never would use a video of herself. No, I don't and, either. Yeah. yeah, I won't. I, the only after I've said a ballet, if I've if I've taught it to my students. Maybe after it's done, I'll let them come and watch me do it. Mm. But I never, because I don't always do it right. And I understand, I don't want them to go, well, look, Miss Tracy, you did it that way. Uh-huh. Well, I was wrong. <laughs> I do it for that reason. <laughs> so did you always have an idea that even after you're dancing, you would be staying in the field of ballet, that you were going to try and keep on um, passing the tradition of this art form to others? I had no idea. Really? I really didn't. I I was always, from the time I joined the company, always thinking about 
I need a second career. Mm-hmm. Even uh, even right at the beginning. So I always knew I wanted a family. I'd hoped I'd get married. I wanted to have children. I didn't know how that would fit in with mm-hmm. a career in ballet. I, I didn't know because mm-hmm. I hadn't. It, I just had no idea. Right. I didn't know if I wanted uh, to stay in the profession or if I wanted to go back to school and do something completely different, challenge mm-hmm. myself in another area. I really, to be honest, I knew I did not know what I wanted to do. But what I what I did experience while I was dancing is a number of my mentors or teachers and, um, and Peter always encouraged me to teach. Mm-hmm. Somebody would be out. Toomey was sick one season, and I had a I was nursing a bad knee, so they sent me over to the school to cover her classes. Mm-hmm. Darla Hoover used to take me um, back to CPYB and teach master classes every once in a while. Uh-huh. So I had. I had people that were encouraging me to teach, Mm -hmm. and I did it because they told me to do it, (laughs) not because I was dying to do it. Feeling super driven to do that, right. So, fast forward to, uh, I guess, my late 20s, early 30s, I was very fortunate, and I married the wonderful Russell Kaiser, (laughs) and we started a family before I ended my career, and my son Avery was born when I was 30. And I kept dancing for uh, 31, maybe. I can't remember. <laughs> and I kept dancing till my mid 30s. And I remember my very last season uh, performing with New York City Ballet. We had just moved out of Manhattan up to Westchester because we were looking at schools for my son. And I was looking at the transition that I was going to take. And at the time, I was just going to take a break. I had no idea what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. I had also in my 20s done some coursework at Fordham. I'd taken some psychology classes. I'd done some a number of child development classes. I was fascinated, thought maybe I would get a psychology major and finish up my my undergraduate. But I remember driving up the West Side Highway one night after the performance. And a lot of people were asking me, what's next? Are you going to teach? Are you going to do this? And I was I don't know. I don't know. I just need to stop and figure it out. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Life was so full at that time, I really had no clue. But I, I said to myself, you are not going to teach unless you can walk into that studio with the same passion and dedication and commitment that Stanley Williams did every single day of his teaching career. Mm. So I put a lot of pressure on myself <laughs> <laughs> because I thought that that's what those students deserve because yeah. that was my experience. Right. That's what those teachers gave me. Mm-hmm. So... I retired. Mm-hmm. I did not immediately go back to school. I actually got pregnant and had another child. And I did take a break and and it was it was a tough transition because I went from dancing to doing absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And it really what it did force me to do is think about what I wanted to do and I started accepting invitations to teach. And I said yes. Mm-hmm. And I started teaching and it did not take me long to discover that I had fallen in love with that different relationship to what I had done. Mm-hmm. I realized I did not want to walk away from what I'd spent my life doing. Mm-hmm. I I was so passionate and loved every experience I had in every ballet I danced, particularly the Balanchine rap and Jerry and all the new pieces that were created. I was fortunate. You know, Bill Forsythe 
worked with me. Um, Peter did a number of ballets for me. Trey McIntyre, it was, I was part of new creation. I, I loved this career. I right. did not want to leave it. Right. And teaching was where I found myself fitting in. I just love that. Can I go be in Boston Ballet School? I want to go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but so let's talk about how you ended up getting to Boston Ballet School and how you adjusted to that change. Yeah, big change. Uh, right after my daughter was born, actually, Peter Martins was invited to go choreograph a ballet for Boston Ballet. And at the time, my husband Russell was his main ballet master. So we decided to... The kids and I decided we would tag along. I'd never spent any time in Boston. Let's go hang out in Boston for a couple of weeks while, you know, Russell works. And I reconnected that summer with Miko Nissenen, the director of Boston Ballet. We'd met in our 20s. We had a number of mutual friends. Mm -hmm. So, and he had just, uh, he took over in 2001, I think. It was in his first couple of years, 2002. It was his first couple of years as the artistic director of Boston Ballet. So we reconnected. And again, he extended the invitation, if you're ever interested in coming to teach, come join us for a summer program. So I called him up the next summer and I said, you know, I'm not doing anything. And he said, well, come and be a guest faculty. So that was the summer of 2005. So I started coming as guest faculty to their summer program. And I really, I just, I loved the idea of that intense period of time of getting to know students. We all know what a summer program They're is. They're the it's, best. They're the best. Yeah. They, they stay with you forever. Well, yeah. you know, some of the dancers, Unity Phelan was describing this festival as it's her, it's her grown up summer intensive. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And uh, so who doesn't love a summer program, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so that's where I got connected with the organization, reconnected with Miko. And in 2007, the, uh, a position was open to run the school, and he called me and asked if I would do it. Again, I decided I can't say no. Mm-hmm. I have to say yes. It was a little tricky because Russell was happily working at New York City Ballet. Mm-hmm. My kids were both in grade school and happy where they were living. Our life was settled, but... These type of positions don't come along very often. So for the first two years that I had that position, I actually commuted back and forth between Boston and New York. Wow. (laughs) That can be hard. I know. It can be hard. (laughs) Yes. I was able to, again, uh, the organization and Miko were incredibly gracious uh, to me and allowed me to work and do my teaching and all of my coaching and and my in-person work Tuesday through Thursday, and I could do my administrative work from home and remotely. And I just threw myself into it. And then a couple of years later, in 2009, the position of assistant director to uh, Miko was opened and was offered to Russell, and we were able to relocate our family. That's an amazing yeah. way that that all works out. I mean, yeah. sometimes you have to take a leap of faith and then... Yeah. Uh, Look at the Sometimes way. you have to just say yes. yes. <laughs> and the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work. Right. Uh, but that's another thing I try to instill in students is be open, say yes, when the opportunities are there. Yeah. Don't wait for something perfect. This was not perfect. The, mm-hmm. You know, Boston was really far away from New York at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that just didn't seem right. But yeah. we, we made it work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what were some of the hardest things you had to learn on the job? maybe components that you would not have imagined are a part of the job that you do. Mm. 
<laughs> I'm going to giggle. The hardest thing for me were all the computer skills. <laughs> In all honesty, yeah, I'm I'm much better now, but <laughs> I do not like Excel spreadsheets. But I had to figure them out. Uh, that was a learning um, learning curve for me. The, the, but I and at the same time, it was exciting. It was something new. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated challenging myself, mm-hmm. throwing myself into something that I'd never done. Again, how lucky was I that I was given that opportunity? Uh, there was a great team in place there. Miko has a very strong and clear vision for what he wants. So that's uh, helpful in helping shape and, and define mm-hmm. the work. Mm-hmm. I, one of the biggest challenges and continues to be in my role is that Boston Ballet School is a very large school. We have three different locations. Right. It's the main headquarters where the company is located and the professional division uh, is housed. Then we have two satellite studios, one in Newton and one in the North Shore community of Salem, Swampscott, and Marblehead. So the biggest challenge is managing people that you don't see every sure. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And communication. Mm-hmm. It's very, and I can't always be in more than one place. Right. And I don't spend, an, it's, I, it's hard for us to all get together enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I worked very hard to create structure and to create uh, how we communicate. And it is something I continue to work to hone and refine. Mm-hmm. So how did you develop um, kind of your vision for the Boston Ballet School? And how did you start to make some positive changes right away as soon as you took over? Well, the first thing I did is I I asked Miko and I talked about the school being connected to the company mm-hmm. in a way that rep- that reflected the vision that he has for mm-hmm, that right. company. So the vision of, of the school, uh, was ve- it was very clear that my work was to reflect the vision that he was establishing and had, had already very strongly in the beginning established for the company with the versatility and balance of the repertoire, versatility and balance of the dancers. Mm-hmm. So how do we build a program that has a dual mission? This is also the unique part about mm-hmm. Boston Ballet School. The easy part of the mission is we train dancers for the profession. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. very clearly mm-hmm. defined. The more interesting and and yet somewhat more challenging part of the mission is to provide an excellent dance education for everyone. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we sort of looked at each other, how do we do that? Because mm-hmm. both were really critically important to mm-hmm. Miko. He very much cared that whether you became a professional dancer or not, whether you only studied in our children's program once a week for three years, that you fell in love with this art form, appreciated this art form, and would be a lifelong fan of yeah. the art form in order for the art form to be sustainable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If we really want to pare down the future of ballet in America, there is a tremendous amount of responsibility that sits at the school level, at mm-hmm. the educational Absolutely. level, because that education is not happening in any of our public school systems. Right. It's up to the private nonprofit and private schools, but it's really the private nonprofits that are associated with the major companies' responsibility to be educating them at that level. So that was a really exciting part of the job, Mm -hmm. is shaping 
the division that wasn't focused on becoming professionals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do we deliver this experience this uh, the, to these students at whatever touch point they come into the school mm-hmm. so that they walk away going, dance can always be a part of my life in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Right. Whether I go to the ballet, whether I become a patron, an arts advocate, uh, or I just take adult class for the rest of my life because yeah. it's really good exercise. Right. Yeah. yeah. It right. doesn't matter. So that w- that has been a really fulfilling and exciting and I will say challenging part of the role of leading the school mm-hmm. in Boston yeah. because it's so important. Right. I, yeah. I think that's really interesting how you brought up, you know, just the fact that these things are not being taught in public school mm. because I think that I feel like there's been a change even since I was growing up. I went to public school in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think that that would be some sort of bastion of the arts, you know. It's mm-hmm. um, but and yet I remember certain things that okay. For instance, I was recently teaching a class and um, I was trying to get them to name. So uh, the pianist was playing a little bit of La Valse. I was trying to see if anyone could name Ravel, right? And it was just like pulling teeth. But then I, I was like, well, okay, can anyone name? Name a ballet and its composer right. that's not the Nutcracker. And no one could do it. Yeah, And that's when you realize that your job is a lot larger than just... It's not just about teaching topics. position. Right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. It, we really have... Uh, that. That is something that I have encouraged our staff. And really, we have an extraordinary staff at Boston Ballet School who believe in that mission. Mm-hmm. That dance should be for everyone. Mm-hmm. No matter what the end product is we are as arts educators we are process driven we are not end product driven Mm -hmm. the good news is is we do get end product Product. and people (laughs) do end up going into the profession but that is only a small small Mm -hmm. percentage of the students that we touch on an annual basis the majority of them we just believe they have that they we believe they deserve to have this professional level experience, mm-hmm. no matter what they're going to do with it. Because yeah. right. then we could sit here and talk about all of the amazing benefits that studying ballet can give you. Right. It's not just the physical benefits, but it's the self-confidence, it's the critical thinking, the self-discipline, time management. I mean, we could go on and right. on, yeah. right? Yeah. We all know that innately. That has been a big part of what our role has been at Boston Ballet School is to spread that news, Mm -hmm. that that study of an art form, look at what it gives you as a whole person, Mm -hmm. the skills that you take away. Mm -hmm. Again, process-driven, not end product. Well, let's talk about end product for a second, Mm -hmm. um, because obviously that is something that happens at the school. But we are in a world of tightening budgets for mm-hmm. arts organizations all over America yep. um, and the world. Uh, um, but uh, so you have these dancers that are ready, but mm-hmm. dealing with this um, sort of um, often bleak uh, employment situation. Oh, it's heartbreaking. How do we, how do you personally um, try to make sure that you are setting your students up for the best chance at um, employment opportunities in a ballet company? That's what I lose sleep over. Yeah. Mm. I really do. That is is something that is a big challenge. I spend a lot of time thinking about it, a lot of time working on that. Not sure I have all the answers yet. Yeah. <laughs> the best we can do is prepare them for options. Mm-hmm. What I find is students, once they feel, when they're ready to step from student, the professional students from 
a pre-professional student into becoming a paid a dancer with a contract. Mm-hmm. The the most successful ones are the ones that know that they have different options and choices. Yeah. So they feel a sense of empowerment. Okay, I if this option doesn't work, option B, I will go down that road. Yeah. Option C is here and I still have D, E and F in yeah. case I need them. And so because there is a lot in our profession <clears throat> as dancers that we don't have any control over. Mm-hmm. We don't have control over who gives us a job. We don't have control over who picks us to be in their new ballet. Yeah. We don't have control over what plies Margaret's going to give them that day. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Yet we have control over how we react to that. Mm-hmm. So a big part of my role in mentoring those students in that transition from student to professional is to help them find those little areas where they can be empowered. And the empowerment comes from choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then then I just keep my fingers crossed and, you know, <laughs> hope that those contracts come through. Yeah. I, I love that you're encouraging that. I feel like that was something that, I mean, even, you know, I graduated from SAB in 2005. I know, I know mm-hmm. things are different now, but um, that it's just so singularly driven towards one goal. Yeah. And that when that goal isn't met, it's just your life feels like it's over. Yeah, right. But now I think more and more people are trying to avoid that. And it's, I mean, that's going to save you a world of heartache because so many people end up, I mean, if I, if you had told me the way my career was going to go down before in, in 2005, when I was 18, right. I think I would have been not happy. <laughs> and right. then now, right. I mean, I totally recognize that that was exactly how it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So I think learning that the sooner you can is just yeah. well, invaluable. And I, and I have to say, I've, I've been fortunate in my role to connect with a number of school directors across the globe. Mm-hmm. There have been a number of um, opportunities for us to gather and this is uh, whether a few years ago you're familiar with a, an org uh, it's a festival that happens every four years in toronto the assemblee international I, heard of it. I love the name it's fantastic <laughs> yes uh mavis staines who is the director of um, canada's national ballet school has created this festival that occurs every four years and she's had it's I think she's done it now three times. And the third time, which was back in 2017, Boston Ballet School was invited. And we spent a week with ballet schools from across the globe. There were 21 schools. And all of the school directors, and we brought students, and they performed for each other. We took class together with different teachers, and we spent a week together, and it was just life-enriching for both the students and the teachers alike. Wow, yeah. And... Out of that, as well as, you know, it's a, we're connected whether we adjudicate for competitions at the Prix de Lausanne. We, we, we have created a network of international school directors. Mm-hmm. I happen to be part of a small committee of international school directors who has taken on the, this entire subject of placing students into the profession. Mm-hmm. Because when we got together, we talked about this very issue. It is so hard to help navigate the audition process for our students. How can we do this better? How can we work with artistic directors? How can we best support our students? How can we best prepare them? So we started talking, and these were all think tank meetings. We just got together and brainstormed. And out of that was just over a year ago. Out of that now, 
I am happy to report that this small committee that was formed, we've been working for a year, we decided to begin to tackle the process of preparing for audition by starting with the first step, which is the application, the video application. What if we standardized that internationally so that all ballet students at professional ballet schools were preparing the same application, basically, just like we have the common app here for college? Mm -hmm. Why don't we create this video application that starts with the classical variation, contemporary variation, bar work? Very clear. Then a CV, headshots. No, maybe it's a CV, he- resume and headshots. I forget. I don't have it under. It. I created it, but I can't remember. <laughs> what it is. We then asked artistic directors if they would endorse this. So we would be directing students more clearly to the pre-application process. Mm-hmm. So they could be vetted and not run all over the place, having their hearts broken at auditions. Well, (laughs) you talk about finances. You know, this was a huge drain of resource. And imagine the school staff having to create four or five different applications for the different criteria of each company. Yeah. So this is the first step. We're actually, this next season, we're going to put it into play. We have 25 companies and a handful of schools that have endorsed this wonderful application process. This is so great. And we're going to see how it works. And you know, we've we've got Royal Ballet, ABT, San Francisco. We've got Eurasia, Australian Ballet. It That's covers amazing. the globe. Yeah. Wow. We're really excited because this is just the first step because then we want to think, well, now what's the next step? How can we better deliver the right, better match the right dancers with the right companies? Mm-hmm. And really, we want to work, the artistic directors have been phenomenal and very open to this. And particularly their staff, they're like, oh, well, this is easy. (laughs) It benefits them. It benefits everyone. So this is, you know, you talk about the job placement. This is, I, I, I was so touched that my concern was shared by all of my colleagues in this industry, that that this is the mentality in the dance world right now. These, This is what we want to make this process better. We want to better prepare them and better match them. And help, hopefully, I think they'll get more jobs this way. Yeah. yeah. And they'll be in the right places. That, in, exactly. That's the that's important the thing because a lot of times, right, like like Michael will say that sometimes when you, you take a year or two in different companies kind of trying to find the right spot mm-hmm. for you, but if you can help everybody get to the place that they're supposed to be at, and that may still change. I mean, you know, you sure. there's only so much unless, you know, you try a company. And uh, another thing, if it doesn't the right fit, go find another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's that yeah. the first job is the hardest one to get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think we have, I see that with most of our students. I, even if they, it's not their company of choice, I encourage them to take it. Mm-hmm. And then two years later, they end up in another company. Mm-hmm. And, or they end up, who knew? Happy there. Loved, work. loved, yeah, that, yeah. found out that they loved where they were. Yeah. Right. So there are a lot more options, but there's a lot more that we need to do mm-hmm. for those of us that are in leadership positions. So we're working on it. <laughs> more to come. So exciting. Uh, we want to talk about your wellness program that you've created at Boston Ballet. Can you tell us a little bit about this program and how the idea for it came about? Well, the idea is somewhat of a no-brainer. Every, every <laughs> you need PT. You need, uh, you need to take care of your students. Yeah. And the idea really is again, we're not just teaching ballet, we're helping shape young people. We're helping them become citizens of the world. Ballet's what they're going to specialize in, but they're humans, mm-hmm. and they need to be cared for on all levels. 
And the intensity of, of a professional ballet training means they need to understand what is good nutrition, how right. do I, what is good injury prevention. Um, this past year, I've brought in an Alexander teacher who is doing beautiful work with the kids in just a sort of mind-body attitude when they walk into the studio. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have really enjoyed that part of the work, and I'm we're very fortunate in Boston. We have a close collaboration with Boston Children's Hospital. Wonderful. And so they have done a fantastic job of supporting all of our wellness needs and our well, and they are our, our resource for experts in the field. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's important for those of us that teach and and are in leadership roles is that again, we've talked about this earlier. I have a specialty in one area. I am not a nutritionist. Mm-hmm. I do not know how to guide a young person who is struggling with their healthy weight. Mm-hmm. That's not what I can do. I need to make sure that, and, and, not, and nor do my teachers. Yeah. That's not what we've been trained to do. So I need to have those resources teach us. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what our wellness professionals do is they also teach our faculty. I bring them in. I bring in our, our, our doctors from children's along with the PTs to talk about the adolescent growth spurt, for right. instance, mm-hmm. and how do we manage teaching students when they've grown six inches and their tendons have not caught up to that. Yes. Right. And they have no flexibility and no coordination. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> so, um, so it's uh, – I want to still learn. I need these experts to learn to, – to teach me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's – we have, as I said, it's basically a relationship with Children's Hospital mm-hmm. that have provided us with all of the team that we need to help mm-hmm. keep our students healthy, happy, and thriving. So since you are um, associated with so many school directors from across the globe, like you're talking about, has there been any talk to kind of take this model of a program and try to implement it in other schools? A lot of schools already have this. Mm-hmm. The European schools, the I. Adams work that has been done across the globe, mm-hmm. adopt a lot of that work. Mm-hmm. I feel most schools, at least at the level that I have been connected with, have a Good. believe in this yeah. and do mm-hmm. this. Good. Yeah. Good. Which is great. Yeah, yeah. of course. Day. <laughs> I mean, when you think about these things, it's just like, we, you know, you can't help but wish that you had had that. this level yeah. of um, care as a student. Yeah. Rebecca and I are enrolling in Boston Ballet School this oh fall. <laughs> like right now, will you accept Come us? Come join me. We accept everybody. <laughs> oh my gosh. Literally. Even people in their 30s. <laughs> yeah. we, have, we have a low impact class for seniors. We do, we oh, teach perfect. <laughs> you aren't anywhere near that. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, we start yeah. at age two and we take you until... That's incredible. Yeah. I love that. I love that. But low impact does sound nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's about all I can on our, do these On days. our poor little box. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Only because we beat ours up a little bit. Yeah. yeah exactly. Only a little. Um, are there ways in which you're um, fostering a new generation of teachers? I like that question so much because it's a question I ask myself all the time. What do I need to do to foster a new generation of teachers? What is my job in doing that? One of the things I've enjoyed doing with our faculty in Boston is helping our teachers look at look at themselves not just as ballet teachers, not just delivering a curriculum, but thinking of ourselves as educators first mm-hmm. so that we understand the basics of how to deliver this area of expertise that we have. So... Again, being in Boston, having incredible resources in the academia mm-hmm. world, we uh, this past year 
I partnered with some folks from Northeastern University Graduate School of Education Mm -hmm. who came in to work with our faculty this year on areas that they wanted to develop that would develop them as teachers, not it wasn't about it wasn't about tondus. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about the curriculum or how we were delivering the curriculum. It was about how to teach the curriculum. So we right. have that we because the staff, the ballet, the the faculty all have that. That's yeah. why they're hired. Mm-hmm. But none of us had the educate the formalized educational mm-hmm. training that you would if you were going to teach in the third grade. Right. Mm-hmm. So basic classroom management skills. Engagement skills, both within the studio, without the studio, with out of the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, how do how do we better build self motivation in our students? All of these different areas of inquiry were brought up through the faculty's voices. So mm-hmm. I engaged everyone, and the facilitators led us into a, a, a program throughout the year to address these, and we experimented with these. So. One of the things I've enjoyed doing is adding that element of education to the faculty. Mm-hmm. I have found that that most of us are really hungry for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we teach ballet. It certainly isn't for the really huge paycheck. <laughs> it's not very good hours. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's true. You know, it's a lot of what is after school hours. Yeah. It's, it's weekends. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. We do it because we just we are passionate about it, yeah. uh-huh. and we don't want to leave this world that we still believe in and love. Mm-hmm. So I find them very. I find that the most teachers that I run across are really excited to build their own skill set. Mm-hmm. So it's that educational skill set yeah. that I like to add, and I think I'm seeing that across the board. I'm seeing that from teachers all over. They're more interested in that. Yeah. yeah. That may not that maybe that's something new and maybe it's just something I've picked up on, but mm-hmm. it excites me. Yeah. And I and I like doing that. So Yeah. That's and it's for me. More you know, as I I need to learn these skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting what you say about of course if you were going to teach the third grade, you would be trained to do that correct exactly i throw somebody in with my elementary one class boy they know the syllabus left and right they know exactly how to teach that tondu derriere by march yeah see i love but have we really given them the skills to deal with what 22 eight-year-olds yeah yeah that's the thing that's why i feel like i can't teach small children because i i feel like i need training like i need Mm -hmm. to know how to make it engaging for them Absolutely. while still offering them technique and that they're learning how to do it safely yeah. and correctly so that they will grow through it. And and also like you're talking about managing a classroom of, of mm-hmm. people and you're, you're in a management role. It's so hard yep. to know how to approach it and how to build the atmosphere that you want that's the most productive for you and for the students. Well, I'll tell you, one of the people who inspired me and continues to inspire me on a daily basis, mm-hmm. is the head of our children's program at Boston Ballet School. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing man named Luciano Aymar. Mm-hmm. He's an Italian man. He had a professional career in Europe. He came here. He also has an incredible pedigree in uh, special needs and child development. And he, I met him, he, he joined the faculty of Boston Ballet School a couple years before I did, mm-hmm. and he only teaches in the children's program, which is ages two to seven. Mm-hmm. And he, at the time when I came, he was just teaching, but he brought this curriculum that he'd been developing on his own, and it was a progressive developmental curriculum Mm -hmm. for this age group, because he's a trained educator, Mm -hmm. also in special needs and everything you'd need, and he has this pedigree, never wanted to teach the older kids. That Mm -hmm. was his area of expertise. Mm -hmm. 
So he basically brought this curriculum to me and said, Margaret, what do you think? And I had been working on the curriculum that would be the syllabus work that would start at age eight Mm -hmm. that Miko had instructed me to begin to build. And it's based on the curriculum that Marcia Delwery created at CPYB, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is tried and true and brilliant. Mm -hmm. And he, we sat and we looked at each other and it was the first time we met and we discovered that it was completely organic Uh and the through line was perfect. It was as if we'd written it together. Right. Wow. What he has brought to our team Mm -hmm. as a leader of our team Mm -hmm. is that understanding of being an educator first. Mm -hmm. So maybe I should backtrack and really give him a lot of the credit for inspiring me to make sure that the whole team not just the teachers who teach in the children's program, because he trains all of those teachers. Mm-hmm. They have to go through his certification mm-hmm. and his stamp of approval, and he mentors them through that because yeah. that is a very – you talk about teaching yeah. that age group. I don't have that skill set to yeah, do that. No. But I'll tell you, in those first few years, I made myself teach the eight-year-olds. Yeah. And every once in a while, I'd call Luciano up and say, I don't know if I could do yeah. this. <laughs> what do you do when Susie will st- – still not stand there for four count preparation. What do I do? And he kept, he really has taught me so much and encouraged me and and, and inspired me to make sure that that we all, whether we're teaching two-year-olds or a company, understand what it really means to be an educator. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think anyone listening to this (laughs) is going to have a great understanding of your role at Mm -hmm. the at the Boston Ballet School, and we'll be sending their kids there. Yeah. <laughs> but let's let's talk a little bit about your role here at the Vail Dance Festival. Oh, hey, that's been a treat. Yeah, it's been so. Uh, what did I? I was telling somebody like a. It's fed my soul mm-hmm. to be here. Uh, what exactly uh, have been your responsibilities? You've been teaching and coaching. So I've been teaching. I've been helping out. I've been coaching some of the roles that I've danced. Oh, it was so much fun to revisit William Tell Potida. <gasps> uh, I was just saying, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> it was so great. So Damien and I learned that from Stanley Williams when we were at the School of American Ballet as students. Uh, we did not dance it together, mm-hmm. although I wish we had. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heather had was convinced that we had, but <laughs> we had to remind her, no, we actually hadn't. Uh, so it's a role that's rarely seen, mm-hmm. uh, but it was incredible to revisit it. It's a little jewel, one of Bournonville's jewels. Yeah. And to work with Lauren and Roman. You know, they're they're just they're so open, and their instincts are all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was good for it was good to go back and visit something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and remember each day. I'd come back. Oh, I remember Stanley said this, or oh, I remember this musicality. Yeah. So it's a journey, especially and for me, I'm used to students, and it's so nice to work at a professional level mm-hmm. yeah. where you move much faster. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm not having to teach them. Near, I don't have to teach the technique. It's yeah. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's there. There's a few, a few reminders here and yeah. there. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's a really wonderful dialogue mm-hmm. between dancer and and myself. That is just it's wonderful for me to connect back to some of those experiences that I had. Yeah, this is that's what we repeatedly bring up about the festivals that Damien just has these little gems that he brings out mm-hmm. that you've maybe forgotten about, like William Tell. I mean, that's something, as soon as I saw that was in the program, I was I got so excited yeah. because it is something I remember watching that video of Darcy and Eve mm-hmm. over and yep. over. Yep. But, you know, it's not frequently done. It wouldn't be at the forefront of your mind. Oh. Um, it's not something you expect to see. Mm-hmm. 
And then his willingness to kind of literally go into the vaults mm -hmm. to bring out some of these balancing ballets that are never done anymore. Yep. Um, yeah, we don't see Chacon very often. Yeah. Oh, and you've done dance Chacon. And I danced that as well. So yeah. a lot of the ballets here you've danced. Mm -hmm. I mean, stars, of course. Mm -hmm. Everyone has seen that great video yes. of you and Damien. <laughs> so, um, yeah, what does it feel like to be here working on things that you work so diligently on yourself as a dancer? It, it's really organic, I have to say. It feels like home. It, uh, Damien has done a, a beautiful job of creating this community mm -hmm. where, yes, there is a, a, a New York City ballet influence, mm -hmm. but you've got all those ballet theater dancers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He brings Misa from Boston, who is, of course, someone I simply adore. Mm -hmm. And, and he, he's able to create this community of dancers that have tremendous respect and they're incredibly open. Mm -hmm. So that has been a lot of fun. And mostly for me, I go back and say, it's just, it's just a joy to teach this level of dancers yeah. and to be reminded of, wow, how, how exquisite it can be. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm, I have become one of some of these dancers biggest fans. Now I'm having <laughs> yeah. so much fun now being able to enjoy from the audience yeah. it's very full circle mm -hmm. it feels yeah. very full circle for me and you're still a part of it just yeah. in a different role yeah. yeah i was saying i was saying earlier uh, to someone that the other piece that has been fun some of the younger students that no, they're not sorry they're not students the younger professionals have been my student mm -hmm. uh -huh. in at a summer course or maybe in boston yeah. and now to see them here is 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 really lovely yeah it's really that full. That is, there is, it is so gratifying. Mm -hmm. I had Unity Phelan for two summers in Boston, and I remember her first summer. And we all kind of looked at her and thought, wow, she's got all of this raw talent. What are we going to do with it? Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, we didn't do anything. She figured out what to do. And then to see her swan like the other night, yeah. she brought tears to my eyes. Yeah. Gorgeous. And so to still have that connection with her. Mm -hmm. To, to be able to walk in and, and work with her on stars and work with her in class yeah. mm -hmm. is, is, it's really fulfilling. It's an, really fulfilling. And an opportunity you may, may not have otherwise if uh, it weren't absolutely. for yeah. Vail. Yeah. 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 Sure. So that brings us to our last little section of our, we're so sorry, we've kept you for an hour and eight minutes so far, but yeah. But it's, it's gone by quickly. It, yeah, it's not for usually us. that comfortable it's been talking no, about I, I, <laughs> oh, We could talk for another hour, yeah. <laughs> but we, you need to get back to do your <laughs> probably probably want some more eyes <laughs> so we're just gonna we have a quick lightning round that we like to finish out our oh, interviews with so we just dear. ask you it's not scary okay one question and you just let us know like kind of the first thing that pops into your mind so do you have a favorite onstage moment yes when i was doing firebird one night and i was really excited because they let me wear red sheer tights and oh. red point shoes. <gasps> That's fun. And that was the only time because they took them away the next time. But <laughs> I was so excited. And I got to this one section where there's a menage where you do this little tour jeté into a, a step. And I remember thinking in my head, because <gasps> I had to look like I was flying. Oh, you can fly. And then I caught an edge and I fell. <gasps> oh, no. But the most precious moment about that is that I bounced back up and I was transported for the rest of the performance. And I remember Meryl... Ashley was coaching me in that role at the time. And by the time I got to the Bersus, she said, she said, Margaret, I, you know, it's almost like that fall jarred you into another world. Hmm. 
And then four weeks later, I found out I was pregnant with my son. So I, I had just, I was recently pregnant. So it was just magical in so many different ways. Yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful story. Sorry, that wasn't a one-word answer. I, no, it's oh, not no, that. No, that's supposed to be. It's just, can, it's okay. A yeah. No, okay. no, because the explanation is what we're looking for. Yeah. That was okay. Great. <laughs> is there a role that got away, a role that you didn't get to dance that you wish you had had the opportunity? Oh, yeah. Probably um, the second aria from Stravinsky Violin oh, Concerto. What a beautiful role. I, as a, as a student at the school, I wanted to do that more than anything. I even asked to do that, but I never got to do it. Oh. So... Um, That's okay. <laughs> well, it might go into this, you but always, sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say there's always some, you know, no one finishes in my their dreams. career with exactly. Yeah. In, in in my dreams were my next life. Yeah, there's always something. Um, if you could come back to the stage tomorrow and dance one role, what would it be? Well, it might be that. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was yeah. Thinking. <laughs> Learn it, do it. It's time. <laughs> that, or maybe come Sunday, the way Alicia did it the other night. Oh, yeah. I think I want to do that. Yeah, because <laughs> I never did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, if you could have worked with Balanchine on one role, what would it have been? Hmm. Oh wow, Capella. Oh. oh. That's a part you dance. I did many but times. But I would have loved to, to have gotten into his mind yeah. for that. Yeah. yeah, mostly that second act. Mm-hmm. Is there one correction that you're really liking to give right now in class? Yes, and it's not a technical correction. It's about when I see someone getting stuck, I tell them to change the narrative in their head. Mm-hmm. So important, like, it really yeah. is. Yeah, I've been doing that a lot lately because I heard someone say that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Is there one quality that you look for in a student first and foremost? Willingness to work, uh, the willingness to create a relationship. I always tell my students that that like when they go to audition, that you don't have to be perfect. Mm-mm. Like you guys no. aren't looking for that, right? I'm, no, I'm not looking for no. that. Perf- none of us are perfect, right? You're Perfection is boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what you're here to learn. Perfection you, is yeah. boring. You want you're. Lo- <gasps> I want that. I want there to be a, a, a an openness, right? To Someone respond. that you can mold, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always important for them to remember. I think because mm-hmm. there's so much pressure on auditions. Oh, no, there is. Yeah. The. Uh, sports psychologist that I've brought in to lecture our students, he says, you can strive for perfection, but never expect it of yourself. Mm-hmm. Very important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then lastly, do you have a dream project for Boston Ballet School? There's sky's the mm-hmm. limit. We're giving no you budget. unlimited budget. Yeah. What All would you budget, do? Rather. <laughs> well, it's something we're working on that I didn't even talk about, but it's building an, an academic program mm-hmm. that is Wonderful. customized just for our students Great. so that they have a residential ballet and academics all within one package. Yeah. Oh, it's the dream to have all that together. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was so inspiring and lovely. It was so okay. fun. Great questions. We, we really you make it so easy. <laughs> I didn't even, I talked and talked. Uh, <laughs> flew exactly by. Thanks again. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope that you take a moment to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where we are always posting unique content in honor of each week's guest. And click over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Those five stars really go a long way in helping us continue to grow the podcast and our brand. See you next week on Conversations on Dance. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.